Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. I'll be reading Hebrews and focusing on Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, life-giving and sustaining word to our hearts and souls. Father, let this sentence hit us. Comfort us, cause us to rejoice. Let us take it in its context as you have given it. And let these words live by the Holy Spirit in our walk with you. To the glory of your name. Amen. Abraham offered sacrifices of animals. God instituted under Moses the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the altar, where to drain the blood, where to wash. Israel, for well over a thousand years, was offering sacrifices at an altar. We who are Christians are meant to continually go to an altar and offer sacrifices. That's our passage. What we saw last week was that the theme that's running throughout the book of Hebrews is that the old covenant form of Judaism is over. It's set aside with the coming of Jesus. And so when he's writing this letter, he has told us in this chapter, there are two altars. This is before AD 70. It's in the mid-60s the first century, there in Jerusalem, the temple's still standing, and there's an altar where blood animal sacrifices are offered up. And there's a new altar, he says, outside, not just the gate of the temple, but of the, the wall of Jerusalem on a hill where Jesus offered Himself for our sins once for all. And those who embrace Christ, he said, eat of that altar, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. They are the ones who have been cleansed by His blood, like He said in verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside 
the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So those who do not come to him have no right to eat from that altar of eternal forgiveness, salvation, joy in Christ. That's what he said. Then, in verses 13 to 16, he, he describes what these people who go to that altar, that is, Christians, he describes what they look like. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he, Jesus, endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now last week, our main focus was on verse 15. We saw that it was a heart issue that bears the fruit that comes out of our vocal cords in song, prayers, words, conversations that praise His holy name. And so we see from that as Christians, we are called to, to pursue our joy in God, in the gospel, continually. And let that spill out of our mouths. Okay. But if a Christian just says, okay, I'm a Christian, that's what I do, and stops there, let me go move into a cave by myself and just or just be a formal church goer who punches a card and leaves but has no Christian community. I'm just going to praise God. You may for a time. But that stream of praise if you don't go on to verse 16, it will become stagnant water. Jesus put this same dynamic this way, and it's very famous. We all know it. What's the great commandment, Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God vertical, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. You should you love Him. Go to Him. You praise Him. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love and care about yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's the structure. The vertical the horizontal. It's a structure of our 
text this morning. Verses 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That, that is, the fruit of our, our lips that, that confess and acknowledge his name and who he is. That's the vertical. He goes on, and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Be because these two sacrifices, the vertical and the horizontal, are pleasing to God. So that's our focus this morning now on verse 16. The believer's life is not only to be a life of adoration of God, of Jesus, with our lips. It is to be that, but it is also to be a life of sharing with others, doing good. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, because such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, the main verb here in verse 16, it's in the imperative mood. It is a mood of command. This is a command to us. The main verb is do not neglect. Don't forget it. Don't neglect or forget to do good and to share. In other words, Every one of us Christians are to beware of becoming so insulated in our own worship life with God or devotion to God, uh, so busy taking only care of ourselves that we forget that part of our priestly calling is horizontal. Doing good, sharing with others. In other words, there is a way to try to be really spiritual. It's just me and God. All my focus is on only my inner life. While neglecting doing good and sharing. And that fruit of the lips... I love God. I got a relationship with God. As long as the second sacrifice is not happening, and the longer one goes, the more those fruit of the lips, I'm convinced, will become mere religious ritual form. The term in the text, do good, it's a term for the general action of service and acts of kindness to others. The other term, koinonia, meaning we know that, to share. It is, it's referring to share the stuff you have, meaning you share the essentials of life with those who lack them. All right, let me just pull back. And we've been in chapter 13, I don't know how many weeks, but numbers of weeks. Let's get a quick bird's eye view just of what we have seen in Hebrews chapter 13 in a nutshell. Because in a nutshell, it is Christianity. 
It is the Christian life. It goes like this. We are all doomed. We're sinners. Born into this world without hope and without God. And Jesus Christ comes and sacrifices Himself outside the walls of Jerusalem and rises from the dead and ascends to the right hand of God. And then He sends the Holy Spirit with His church preaching the gospel to people, and throughout the ages, He regenerates the elect through that preaching. And because they're regenerated, born again, made alive to Christ, that that, that means they believe, they see, and love Him, and offer sacrifice of praise That faith in them is the means through which He justifies them forever. Jesus' perfect human obedience is granted to their account forever. And our sin was put on Him and He paid the price and it is wiped away. And so here's what chapter 13 gets to now. So now we have, because of that, The treasure of all treasures. Our Creator, not as our judge and condemner, but Jesus has made His Father our Father for our eternal good. And thus, that's the first sacrifice that goes on continually. We praise God. And then He says, let that abundant spring within you overflow the edges of your life, doing good, sharing with others. You see the logic? This is chapter 13. Let's hear that logic through Jesus' lips. I want you to turn there, Matthew 7. I'm going to read it slowly, okay? Because these first words, starting with verse 11, are very familiar, so don't let familiarity just cause eyes to roll over. Hear the word of Jesus. If you then, who are evil, thank you, Jesus, we are. If you then, who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Because He knows He's going to the cross. He's talking to His disciples. The gospel is amazing. What God offers is His Son who redeems you in order that you get God as your Father 
forever doing good. Erase with your mind if you have a subtitle that comes next. It butchers the text. He's not done. Because the next thing he says now that that's true, look who God is to you. Here's the word in Greek. Un. English. Therefore. Because that's true. It's directly connected now. Therefore. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. How oh, do you see it? You got God. You can give. He's got you. You can obey Him. He's out for your good as your Father always. Therefore, think about what you would want in that situation. And when you run up against that with a brother or a sister in Christ, then be that for them. Do that for them. Give that to them. So, yes, the Christian life is a heart issue. It is a personal relationship with God. But it does not stop there. Jesus' words, so do to others. Does God do you good? Yes, I'm a believer. Now you do that. To others. That's Christianity. This is what the brother of Jesus means, James, right? When he put it this way in chapter 1 of James religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Oh, it's faith. It's nothing less than that. That's where James is driving, right? Some of you have a false faith, he says. It's not true. But what, so how does he define it? He says, here it is. Here's the pure and undefiled religion. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And he goes on in chapter 2, and he says, look, if a brother or a sister, okay, here we are, in the church family, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The Apostle John, he, he echoes that same thing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. By this we know love, that He, Jesus, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for fellow Christians. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his, it is a heart issue, his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so the writer tells us in our passage, don't neglect doing good. Meaning, don't neglect actively looking for opportunities to help others as an expression of worship to the Lord. In the context, remember, the beginning of chapter 13, we get a feel of the large kind. Now we go slowly, but really you can read it very quickly. So it's all this one big piece. He begins chapter 13 this way. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those fellow Christians who are persecuted and who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And, and, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So he said, show hospitality, share your stuff. Your time, your homes, your food. Visit those in prison or in the prison cell of their depression or affliction. Because I think he means the sky is the limit here, right? Well, know what it is to be a human being, which is to suffer to one extent or another. And we find periods of relief and we're often used and others are used in our lives to be a blessing of Relief, koinonia, sharing your stuff, your heart, becoming a good listener, what you would like the other to do for you. Do that to the other. The point is that people who get their life source, who get their strength as Jesus says you give your children good gifts and you're whacked out how much more will your father give there's your source or the way the author puts it we have an altar we have an altar the cross where we go to God and we feed on the altar of the cross it's those people now who have an abundance to overflow, to live for others. When sin grabs hold of us and we realize we're in such selfish, hoarding patterns of our talents and our time and our money, it's a pointer back, huh, maybe I'm not feeding at the altar. Now, in the text, think about the picture the writer is painting here. He uses the word sacrifice. That's not, we, we have taken that into Western civilization. It's used in all kinds of ways. We'll see it in a minute. But he, he's using 
biblical language of sacrifice to these Jews. In other words, you're to picture waking up, going out to your flock or someone else's and purchasing an unblemished lamb. Make your journey to Jerusalem into the temple and that Lamb that costs time and it costs money, you offer up. And it's killed on the altar. That's what every Christian is called to do. Continually. Except we don't offer animals. Verses 15 and 16 say there are two main offerings. We praise God. God with our mouths and we pray help me now go horizontal in love brothers and sisters this is the daily sacrificial offering think I mean sacrifice it's come over right we all use it it's I mean baseball has an official term it originally comes from the pagans and from the Jews offering animals. That's what sacrifice means. But what, what, when, when the manager gives you this and whatever that sign is, the batter goes, oh, he just told me to sacrifice myself, meaning give myself up in death, making an out. But in order to advance the runner, Means to an end. So when we use sacrifice, which we do in our culture all the time, it's usually referring to something that in and of itself, just if it's isolated like that, like let me make an out, that's not easy. That's not even desirable to give an expensive lamb hard-earned money and time or to write that check. Or to spend that precious time with that person. And I might not get any joy out of that time with that particular person in and of itself. We, 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 we call those things sacrifices. That's why verses, now take all that, there's sacrifices. I don't want to sacrifice that. Why would I sacrifice that? Why would I kill the animal? That's why verses 14 to 16, they're one unit. Let's read them together again. For here, Christians, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, here's the connection, therefore, let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
the strength, the, the, the fulfillment, being filled with the power to be others-centered comes from the Lord. That's the Christian life. Comes from pursuing, seeking something is not of this world. It is to come pursuing, being satisfied in God. Hmm, I've eaten. I'm full. I don't, I don't feel like I have any pressing needs of hunger. Now I'm free to dip that ladle into the pot of stew and feed someone else. Notice the end of verse 16. This whole dynamic, that word for, meaning because, meaning here's the foundation of offering the sacrifice of love, of giving, of sharing, of being for others. Because such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's a challenge to our own hearts, to our battle with sin. Because when sin is not gaining ascendancy, the more we know we want to please God. And sin wants us to act in ways that don't want to please God. He says such sacrifices, he's referring to both the praise with the lips and the doing of good. There's something about these works, the sharing, the doing good, that are not legalistic works. It's logical. How do I know? God hates legalism. God hates words that praise His name that come out of people's mouths. He hates it when their heart is far from Him. That's how Jesus put it. He hates doings that have a mentality that watch me do. God, now pay me. You owe me. Hates it. That's legalism. And how do I know that's not that then? Because he says what he's referring to here, these sacrifices... These works are pleasing to the Lord, to God. Now, so, oh, clarity, clarity. So what, is that, what does that mean? Why are those works pleasing to God? I, I'm going to say it at least three different ways. Here's one way to say it, and I think this makes biblical sense. When we obey as a Christian coming out of eating at the altar, 
doing good and sharing, it, it, it points to our lives in the way that we handle our resources, our money, and our time, and our talents, which then those actions show whether our treasure is in heaven or not. Horizontal overflowing shows whether we are living for this world or for another world. Look at the text in its context. Our sacrifices of doing good and sharing, they reveal whether verse 14 is real in our lives. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You know how Peter puts that, right? Peter, Peter says, we're aliens. It's not our home. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's, what, oh man, His own possession. In order that you would lift up your voices in your lives, the praises of God. Our loving and our serving others in obedience, the way he puts it here, is not a means of getting approval from God. It is the result or the fruit of God giving himself to us through Christ. The heart transformation in the text is already there. Seeking a city that is to come. See, in other words, the flow is because verse 14 is true about you. Therefore, don't forget. Don't neglect praising God. And that pursuit of praising God... Yet, it is to be bearing the fruit of doing good because that's what pleases God. Now, we should ask these kind of questions. Wait a minute, okay. Is he contradicting himself from what he said earlier? Because this should bring to our heads when we hear those words, pleasing God, what he's already written in chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Do good to others because this pleases God. How do those two go together? I think it's simple. 
They're the fruit of faith. It's because of faith. Faith is producing it. It's why it's not legalism. Without faith, he said, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Like Jesus said, if you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He gives good things to those who ask. In other words, you can't please God unless you come to Him empty-handed. The only thing we contribute to our eternal life and salvation is our sin. Brokenness. We come empty-handed desiring what He's promised. Come unto me, all you who are burdened, depressed, confused, wondering why you're, you exist. Come to me, and I will give you eternal life. Take my guidance upon your life. My yoke and the animal to guide them. Because my guiding you, it's easy. The things I say to you, the, the burden that you'll bear, like the bull, oh no, trust me, I'm out for your good. It's light. So we come to him trusting. His promises. That's what faith is. It's impossible to please God without faith. Do good and share. This pleases God. He's already illustrated this dynamic a few sentences up in verses 5 to 6. Remember, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have because He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The result, we confidently say, that's faith. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That activity of faith pleases God. Just, just think about why. Because to the extent by God's grace, we keep our lives free from the worship and of money and things. To that extent, we're more free to spend our time and money and energy on others and treat them as an end, not as a means to an end. And that is driven by faith in His promise. And that pleases God. Because it shows what are they living for? They are
are heavenly minded. That's why they're earthly good. And it pleases God because he loves to see the reflection of his goodness in the hearts of his people, which he sees it in its overflow of love to others. Or you, another way to just say it is this. Why is it please God? Because when Jesus, when the cross is, is exalted or lifted up and demonstrated, the fruit of it is lived out. When Jesus is lifted up, God's always pleased. Is a way to say it. He is pleased with the exaltation of His Son. Like He just said, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Jesus suffered to sanctify, I mean to set apart a people. And one of the ways that this sanctification process is shown in the lives of his people is by, quote, not neglecting to do good and sharing. This is Christianity. It's, it's really not complex. It's doesn't have formal structures to it. It's human beings who are of a body and live out this life. L l just l l here, here's Paul. Paul says the same thing. Listen to Paul's understanding of the gospel and its effects and what it produces. He says it this way in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, very concisely. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us in order to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession. And then he defines what those people look like. Here's Paul. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's Paul's gospel and the fruit of it. And when that fruit flows, it points back to the root, a heart captivated with Jesus, with the altar on Golgotha. And when that happens, God's pleased. He's always pleased when his son is glorified. And here's, here, I'm going to close it this way, the way that the author's going to close this chapter. We're not quite there. We'll get there in a few weeks. But this is our hope in everything that you heard. Because, okay, I'm going to share love. i got to go to all those things. You do, absolutely. And God's pleased when you do. And ultimately, He's pleased because He's always pleased with His own work. And if you have ever 
praised God with your lips, from your heart. That was God's doing. If you have ever done good works flowing from your faith in Christ, that was ultimately God's doing. And thus he is really pleased. Just look. All of what we just saw is leading to a couple of verses down. Verses 20 and 21. And now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, let's go back again, because that's all the subject clause. So let's, let's get the flow into verse 21. Now, may the God of peace do something. Equip you with everything good. Why? So that you may do His will as He is working in us. Here it is again. That which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. So when your devotion to Jesus overflows in doing good to others, He gets the glory. We have no grounds to boast. It's ultimately His grace and His work, and that is always pleasing to God. Don't Neglect doing good and sharing. Say it differently. Continue to advertise the cross of Jesus Christ by your good works. Don't neglect it and blur or the gospel or lie about the gospel. One more. Again, why? I'm just going to... Because it's so central and ubiquitous everywhere in the New Testament that this is what Christianity is. Here's Paul again in a nutshell in Ephesians chapter 2. He puts it all there together. Listen to it. Starting with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this... It's in the neuter. Faith and grace in the Greek are feminine. You don't do it that way unless he wants to show the grace and the faith is what I'm referring to. And this, the grace and the faith, is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your works. So that no one may boast. He ain't done. Okay, got that now? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world. And then in time and space, He recreated you, made you, if you're a believer, a new creation in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. So when we have the grace to hear the exhortation to share with others our time, our treasures, our talent, this is where we rest our hope. It's God's grace working in us, and it'll be his grace tomorrow to sustain it in us. He's always pleased to exalt his mercy and his grace through his son, Jesus. That's why he's pleased to come and regenerate those who are his. Make them alive together with his son. And faith comes alive and he's pleased to justify them by the blood of his son. And then ongoingly in their lives down here, he's pleased to sanctify them, which evidences itself in our doing good and sharing what we have. Because it is he who is equipping you with everything good that you may do his will. As he is working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory. And therefore, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Father, thank you for this grace. As Paul declared in Philippians 1, you who began this good work plucked me out of darkness, put me into your marvelous light, caused me to taste and see that you're good all by the indwelling of the Spirit of your Son by which we, your children, cry out, Abba, Father. It is you who will bring this to completion. And in that we rest as we awaken every day to your wonderful commands and walk after you to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Let us stand and praise his name with the fruit of our lips.